You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church family. My name is Jeff Unterbug, and I get the honor and privilege of serving in our recovery ministry here on Wednesday nights at 630. I'm going to read out of uh, Luke 15, verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are we? Doing all right? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. We're going to be... Looking at the story most famously titled The Prodigal Son. Um, But as we get into the story, I think what we'll see is that there's more than one son, and the story is about a compassionate father. And so I'm uh, I'm excited and humbled to share this with you, and and, uh, I'm just going to warn you from the outset, it's it's a real tender story for me because it's, it's very biographical. And that's actually how I'm going to preach it. Uh, I realize there are two sons in this story. Uh, I resonate with one of them more than the other. I'm going to try and not forget about the older brother, but I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to preach this probably more through the lens of the prodigal. Let me give you a little bit of background uh, about me that may help uh, illuminate this. So my, my middle school years took a turn, and uh, they took a hard turn. Um, that turn, uh, which started probably around my sixth grade year, uh, was one that would eventually become full-blown into drugs and alcohol and all that that life typically brings with it. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh, the summer after my eighth grade year, I was invited to a church camp. And I, I think I may have shared this story with you before. I was the kid that was invited to the church camp in hopes that God would do something in this kid's life, something profound. Hopefully that's true about every kid that we invite. Um, But I had been there for an hour. I want you to catch this, one hour. uh, When I was, uh, they came into my room, I was smoking a cigarette, and they confiscated my luggage, which was filled with vodka and beer. And so uh, I was definitely the kid that needed to be there. And let me say this, praise God they let me stay. Uh, Praise God they let me stay. And so the youth minister uh, said, hey, I'm going to put a guy named Tom Bailey. Uh, He didn't tell me this, but I'm sure in the back channel rooms, it was Tom Bailey is going to spend some time with you this week. And so there was a guy that that hung out with me all that week named Tom. Um, My life didn't change after youth camp. In fact, it it got worse. The next year, uh, in my ninth grade year, I got pulled out of the high school that I was a part of, sent to rehab, and sent to another school. Rehab didn't take. Uh, In fact, all that rehab did was give me new ideas. In my ninth grade year, the world of degradation uh, opened up to me even more. And I just continued this spiral and decline. Uh, The drugs took hold, the alcohol took hold, my my grades uh, suffered and struggled, my family uh, was uh, collapsing and had collapsed in many ways. Um, this is especially poignant um, because my dad's right here, and, uh, and there's so much hope in this. Um, and so 
bear with me. Um, my 11th grade year, uh, I was kicked out of the district, uh, kicked out of school. I had nowhere to go. Uh, I got woken up one morning uh, by two police officers who then escorted me to a car. That car drove me to the airport. The airport, I got on a plane and was sent to Marine Military Academy in Harlingen, Texas. Not a place you want to go. Um, I'm talking about Harlingen. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I spent, uh, I spent a couple of months at the Marine Military Academy. Uh, I should have spent several months, but I, uh, I, I left. Um, I broke out is, is a way to say it. Um, and I, I left that night. It's a crazy story. I don't have time for it here. Um, but somebody picked me up, and I got in their car, and I left Harlingen and went to South Padre. And on the way... Uh, all that I had, all that we were issued, were school-issued clothing. So we pulled over on the side of the road, and I threw all my articles of clothing off into the woods, my ID, my shirt, everything, and I came to Padre Island with shorts and shoes. That's all I had. Uh, that week was an awful week uh, in a lot of ways, and I came home. I had no school to go to, had no home to go to. Um, and I eventually, my dad eventually let me back in the house and I had to repeat my 11th grade year. Uh, my life didn't change. Um, I would eventually graduate uh, miraculously and then I found myself on, uh, on an August night on Saturday, August 3rd. And uh, I was at a field party and the field party took a turn and it got rowdy and rough, and uh, there was a group of guys that were frustrated that me and three of my friends were there, and they beat the tar out of us. Um, it wasn't a pretty scene, it wasn't a fair fight, in fact, I never saw it coming. I just knew it was tense, and then I was on the ground, and I woke up, and I ran from the scrum, and I can remember my jaw just doing this. Um, and it, it got broken in two places. I went to the hospital, I walked in the waiting room, and I was covered in blood with my buddies who were there, um, and I had to get my jaw fixed. Woke up the next morning, and my jaw had been wired shut to stabilize it. Lived that way for eight weeks. And, and here's the picture, and it's somewhat of a graphic picture, but I've, I think it's a picture of the prodigal. I, I woke up and was nauseous and vomited over the side of the bed. And my guess is most of you in here have not vomited with your mouth wired shut. Uh, it's not a pretty scene and it's not a pretty sight, but it's a pretty clear picture of where I was. And you might even say it's a pretty clear picture of who I was, um, as hard and as sad as it is to say that. And so when I think about this story of the prodigal, um, it feels so biographical. I mean, it feels so close to home. I do know this, that not all of you, maybe not many of you, can identify with the prodigal in that way. And you may not be able to identify with my story in that way, but I do wonder if you can identify with feelings of loneliness, with feelings of shame, with feelings of just like, I am stuck and I don't know how to get out. Felt that? I mean, maybe on the outside, it was all cleaned up and looked right. But on the inside, it was isolation. It was far from home, if you know what I mean. 
And for some of you, that type of prodigal reality is more of your reality. And I know that for others, it's not that at all. It's, it's maybe you over here, kind of like the older brother that we're gonna see in the story, who is frustrated. His life has been one of duty day in and day out. He has done what he was asked to do. I've been obedient. I've been straight line. I've been straight laced. And what do I get for it? Like, am I not entitled to something better than this? Like, is my life supposed to look like this? Have I not done all that you've asked me to do, oh God? And in moments of honesty, maybe the frustration boils over. But maybe the typical cadence of your life is arms crossed over in a quiet resentment and a joyless existence. Luke 15 contains three parables. I want you to feel what Luke is doing. In Luke chapter one and two, he describes the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke three through nine, what he's going to talk about is Jesus announcing the kingdom. Jesus is laying stake and saying, I am the Messiah. And this is what the kingdom is like. In chapters 9 through 19, it's Jesus going from town to town as he heads to Jerusalem, preaching the message of the kingdom and disrupting the status quo. I read one commentator who said this. It was like a battle of two banquets. There was the banquet that he was having with the tax collectors and the sinners, and that banquet was frustrating the feasting that he was having with the Pharisees and the scribes. So he shows up in Luke 15, and I want you to catch who he's sitting with. Verses one and two, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. There was a group, an unwelcomed group, an uninvited group, a group that was outside, a group that may not have a home. And Jesus is meeting with that group, but he's not alone. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying this, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So then he goes on to tell three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. The theme in each one of those parables is a theme of being lost and being found. There's 99 sheep and one that is lost. That sheep is found by the good shepherd. And then there's rejoicing and joy in heaven. There's 10 coins. One is lost. The woman, she goes and finds the lost coin. And then there is rejoicing in the angels. And there are two sons. One is lost, he's found, and then there's rejoicing in the Father. And the picture that Jesus is saying here is the heavens and the angels and God himself is declaring a hopeful and eager celebration of saints and sinners coming home. And he's inviting both parties to attend. He's inviting both parties to to attend. And I want you to catch a sense of the hopefulness of the Father. I want you to catch a sense of his heart. I want you to catch a sense of what he's like. 
as Jesus makes an appeal both to the prodigal and to the older brother. And as we make our way through, I want you to look for these contrasts. A contrast, a son that is lost in verse 12 and a son that's found. Verse 13, extravagant waste and extravagant celebration in verse 23. There's complete loss in verse 14 and complete gain in verse 22. There's degradation and shame in verse 15 and repentance in verse 21. There's total rejection in verse 16 and total acceptance in verse 20. I also want you to get a sense of the way the prodigal's life unfolds. He leaves with confidence and wealth in his back pocket, but he leaves with a heart that is broken. And we don't understand the sense, because Jesus doesn't talk about it, of why he leaves, but he leaves with a sense of dissatisfaction. He leaves with a sense of longing. And I want you to see the decline and the decay of his heart as he moves from isolation and this strong sense of loneliness, then into a feeling of degradation as he finds himself around the pigs, which for a Jewish man is working with an unclean animal, the shame. And he moves from the loneliness and the shame to the starvation, where he finds himself in a position of hunger, like true, genuine hunger. And he looks across the way and catch this. He thinks, well, what if I could just eat that? I mean, I'd be willing to even eat that. Not only is he working with a shameful animal, but he's willing to eat their food. He's in a place of utter desperation. The need is palpable. And then it keeps going. It says that he gets to a place of desperation and you feel the decline where he reaches out for help and the text says no one was willing to give him anything. The hopelessness. So he moves from a lonely position to a shameful position to a needy position to a hopeless position. And it's not that one ends where another begins. It's that they culminate. you imagine the weight this guy felt? Just the despair? And then the parable ends with a lingering question. And I want you to see it as we read it. The father is going to go out and entreat the brother, come in. And we don't know if he does. And Jesus leaves it in such a way where the question is posed not just to the brother, but to you and to me. And the question is this, will you enter? Will you enter into the joy of your father? Will you take a step towards unconditional love? Will you lay down your entitled position and receive your rightful identity as a true son? Will that be enough for you? Can you enter into the celebration of another when you're not the central reality of the party? Will you? And so with all of that, Luke 15, we'll start in verse 11. I'm reading the whole thing. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose And he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I feel like we could just stop right there. Here is my hope. One sentence for all of us. Return home because God is gracious and hopeful to celebrate. Return home because God is gracious and hopeful to celebrate. He's inviting all of us, his sons and daughters, to come home to him. You may have gone off to that distant country or you may be in the backyard, but he's saying, come home. Why? Because his posture, your father's posture 
is good. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is kind and patient and gracious. And he is hopeful. What's he hopeful for? Oh, to celebrate. To celebrate the returning of his sons and daughters to the rightful place, to the rightful identity. He's longing for that day for sons and daughters to come home. And so you see in verses 11 through 20, you see the returning home of a son who was reckless. In verses 11 through 16, this son takes the inheritance and he spurns his father's goodness and love. He leaves. He goes off on his own way. And I want you to see what happens in verse 13, 14, 15, 16. Verse 13, he squandered his property in reckless living. 14, he spent everything. 15, he was sent into the fields to feed pigs. 16, he was longing to be fed and no one gave him anything. So if we could just for a second imagine and put ourselves in that position. Like to actually feel what the son felt. So he leaves in confidence, frustration, who knows why he left. And it may be complex or it may be simple. If I think about my own story, there were a thousand factors that led me to the decisions that I made. But I could distill it down. My heart was broken and aching and I didn't know how to quiet it. And so I went out in a thousand different directions to try to satisfy and satiate a longing in my heart that was deeper than I even knew about. And so I tried this and I tried that and I tried this and I tried that. And I kept finding myself over time sliding further and further and further away from home. You've been there? You've been in that spot? You felt that feeling of despair? You felt stuck before in your own sin and your own shame, like you've met a mess of your marriage. You, you've kind of ruined your kids and your parenting. That addiction has its claws deep in your soul and you know it. It was a choice that you made. There's nobody else to blame. You did it. I did it. I did it. I made those choices. Well, they cost me a lot. Tons of regret, tons of frustration, tons of years that I wish I could get back, and they're gone. They're gone. The famine comes. You look around and you think, what now? I got nothing to eat. I got nothing to do. You feel the shame that that son probably felt? The hurt, the sorrow, even if he couldn't locate it or pinpoint it, oh, it was there. I mean, I woke up with it in that hospital room on that August morning. Like, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And so the reckless living finds its place and it ends in despair. And he may not have had anything to eat. He may not have had a right job to do, but get this church, he had a place to go. He could go home. 
And more than going home was to a place, catch this, going home was to a person. There is a father waiting. And so you just have to wonder, as the son is out doing what the son is doing, how many restless and sleepless nights did the father have? How many nights did he lay wondering, will he come home tonight? Will he come home today? And so the son, he finds himself in this place. And then in verse 17 says this, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he, when he finally saw it, when he got to the end of his rope, when he came to a place of need and realized all of my best efforts have got me this, when he came to himself, he says this in verse 18, I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. This quote from Augustine kind of haunts me. He says this, you never depart us, O God, but yet only with difficulties do we return to you. And so here's this son who picks himself up from the slop and the sty. I don't know how long the journey was, but it was long enough to think. It was long enough to rehearse the apology. It was long enough that I guarantee you the deafening shouts of shame and lies that were clanging in his ears as he made the journey back home. You screwed this up. You're not good enough. He'll never receive you. Come back as a slave. You're not a real son. You wasted it all. It's over. How about your brother? Well, he figured it out. But he just kind of courageously kept on that journey. And then at some point, the father could see him. He could see him. And he knew, as only a father knows, that's the walk of my son. That's my son there. And what does the father do? Does he lean back against the fence post and be like, I can't wait to lay into him? No, that's not what he does. That's not the heart of our father. That's not the heart of the God who loves us. What he does is he doesn't lean back. He lifts up his garments so he can take off running to get him, to embrace him, to receive him. And what he does is he hugs him and kisses him and says, you are home, my son. And then the son starts to say, but, but I've, I've done this. I've sinned against you. And he cuts him off. And he says, get the robe, put it on him put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And what the father is doing here with this clothing is he's saying this robe signifies you're a worthy guest. You belong in this home. You're here at my invitation. The ring is a signet ring, which gives authority as a son. All that the father has is the son's. The sandals represent sonship and luxury. It's not for the hired hand. It's for the one who belongs. And he is saying to him, I receive you fully as my son. I'm not giving you advice. I'm not talking about yesterday. What we're doing is celebrating the fact that you are home. So get the fattened calf and let's celebrate. And here's what you need to know, church. Friend, 
I realize some of you came in like this. Like you even wonder why you're here. And I'm telling you, this is why you're here. You're here because you need to know that there's a father who loves you, who has been waiting for you to return home. And your life, again, may not look like you've been in a pigsty because you're all cleaned up on the outside. I mean, you're put together, and it's success. But the soul is shallow and hollow, as maybe secret sin has just gnawed away at you. A marriage that has eroded, children that are distant. I'm sorry. And the message for you this morning is this. Come home. Come home. He loves you. Sister, he loves you. Come home. Your father loves you. Father, I pray for my sister even now. Just that you would cover her. Remind her in the deep places of her heart that she is loved by you. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And so the son, he comes in. They begin to celebrate. They begin to rejoice. And then off in the distance, the brother whose sleeves have been rolled up, no doubt is tired from a long day at work again. Here's the music. What's all this about? Did you not hear? Your brother. He's home. He's safe and he's sound. That's a good report. They're, your dad, he killed the fattened calf. I mean, there's a party in there. And the posture of his heart is one of, are you freaking kidding me? All this for him? Where's my party? I mean, day in and day out, I have struggled. I have been faithful. I have done what you've asked me to do. Straight line, straight laced. I've walked the line. I didn't even get a young goat, much less a fattened calf. Deep frustration, resentment. And here's what I know. Some of us feel that. We just feel that because of the good life that we've lived, that our kids should walk this certain way. The good life that I've lived, the decisions that I have made from a posture of I'm doing the right thing, therefore I deserve this have forgotten that therefore is always and every time about grace. That's what it is. It's not about an obedient light that's straight-laced that deserves anything. It's about the celebration is the joy and the discretion of the Father, and it's always about grace. It's always. And so the Father goes out to the Son. He says, Son, Son, all puffed up and frustrated. This son of yours is what he says. He says, no, 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 your brother. Your brother is home. And you, you're my son. All that I have is yours. Come in. Come in and celebrate. So that August 4th morning, I told my dad, I can't, uh, 
I can't leave. I was supposed to go off to a community college, uh, and I just knew that the trajectory of my life, I probably wasn't going to make it. I don't know what that means, but it was just going to be more of the same. And so I asked him, can I stay home? Um, and 10 days later, a friend of mine invites me to a Bible study, and he had come to faith earlier that summer. So I go, he picks me up, we're driving my face. Um, I guess the swelling had gone down a little, but uh, jaw wired shut, had the wisdom teeth taken out at the same time. So, it, you know, there was a lot going on up there. <laughs> and we're driving to the house, and my buddy says, um, we're going to Tom Bailey's house. Well, you remember Tom. And I want you to catch this. The first thing that I thought, I can't go in there. All I'm going to get is I told you so. All I'm going to get is that look of like, yeah, I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. I offered you a way out. Um, I walked in. I quietly sat in the back of his living room as he preached the gospel to about 70 high school and college students, which he did faithfully as a layperson in his home every week until he passed. And I heard the gospel, and everything in my heart leapt. It's like, I need, I need this, I want this, I don't know what this is. I got no shame from Tom, I got an invitation home from Tom. I got an invitation into love and grace and renewal and new life and redemption. I got an invitation to drop the chains and come forward in freedom. I got an invitation, what 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what I heard that August night in 1996. And I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. I came home. And what you need to hear is this. Praise his name. What you need to hear is this. In that moment, the Father celebrated. In that moment, the heavens roared. And in that moment, the angels in full chorus said, hallelujah, praise his name. And what you need to hear, church, is this. That invitation is still being extended. It's being extended over and over and over again for those of you in here, those of you who are the prodigal in here even now. Consider this according to 2 Corinthians 5, that what God is doing right now through this broken vessel is he, God, is making his appeal to you right now through me. And he's saying to you, prodigal, come home. It's a good home to come back to. Come back to a love that is all enveloping, good and gracious and sufficient. It's unconditional. It's no questions asked. He's saying to you, come home. And for those of us who may have gotten a bit crusty, a little bit resentful, a little bit frustrated, that we feel like we kind of deserve a little bit more. Haven't we done enough? Shouldn't we be filling the blank? And maybe that resentment doesn't show up on the outside, but boy, on the inside, it's just simmering quietly. And I did read this this week, that one of the temptations for the prodigal is over time, he or she begins to look like the older brother. Lord, help us. 
So in the ways where we may have drifted or slipped or slided towards that posture of the older brother, would we in this moment find a place of repentance just to say, Father, forgive me. I want to enter into the celebration. I want to enter into your joy. I want to enter into what you're doing because this, Jesus is announcing, this is what he's doing. He's going to look for the one sheep that goes astray. He's going to look for the one coin that gets lost. He's going to look for the son that makes his way off into a far country. And he's even entreating those who are pridefully self-righteous and religious to say, come on, this is what I'm doing. So church, the first part of our vision statement, our 2030 vision statement is this. We are a welcoming home. We're a welcoming home for who? For these people, for people like me, for people like you, for people like us, for people like they're not here yet. That's who we're a welcoming home for. And we want to be that to our community so that they know the gracious, unending love of the Father. Would you pray with me towards that end? Father, we do love you. Oh, wow. How loving and gracious you have been to us. Our heart says, but God, I'm a great sinner, and you say, I will in no wise cast you out. Oh, but I'm an old sinner, and you say, I will in no wise cast you out. I'm a hard-hearted sinner, and Jesus, you say, I will in no wise cast you out. But I'm a backsliding sinner, and you say, I will in no wise cast you out. But I have served the enemy all my days, and Jesus, you say, I will in no wise cast you out cast you out but I have sinned against the light I will in no wise cast you out I have sinned against mercy I will in no wise cast you out but I have no good thing to bring with me and you say oh Lord I will in no wise cast you out so Lord would you receive your sons and daughters and would you bring many sons and daughters home? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.